Wyoming Valley Church. I am Pastor Todd. Nice to have you here with us today. Communion is always a blessing for my soul. It prepares my heart in a really proper way, especially before I speak the word. <clears throat> We're going to continue our series today called Lessons for Living from the Gospel of Luke. We started this this past Sunday, and this is lesson number two in our new series. If you have your Bibles, we're actually going to be in Matthew today because Luke and Matthew have the same account in the gospel regarding the passage we're going to look at today. But we're going to look at the Matthew account from chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we'll be. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And the title of our lesson today is going to be called Lessons, excuse me, True Sustenance. True Sustenance. Before I get to the text, though, do you have any, on any, let me start that over. That was going to sound better. <laughs> let me start that over. Do you have any unhealthy habits? Think about that question for a moment. Any unhealthy habits in your life? I'm not asking you to tell me what they are, but I'm going to give you the top 10 unhealthy habits that Americans have. Okay, and I'm not judging anybody today. I do a couple of these as well, so I'm not judging anybody. These are top 10 Unhealthy habits that many Americans have. Okay, number 10, tanning beds. Tanning beds. I don't know if any of you do that, but it doesn't take an Einstein to figure out that if we lie down in extreme ultraviolet light for an hour, come out orange and glowing, like we experienced a radiation fallout, that might not go well for the body. <laughs> tanning beds is the first unhealthy habit we have. See, I don't really like heat, and I don't really care if I'm tan. Anyone else care? I, I embrace my pastiness. I actually would like a cooling bed, you know, lie down and let fans hit me from all, all areas. <clears throat> Number nine, unhealthy habit many Americans have is watching multiple screens at the same time. Anyone do that? I know. I'm looking right at you for this one. Actually, I caught myself doing this the other day. There were two games on at the same time that I wanted to watch. There was the Yankees game and there was an NBA playoff game. So I had my phone and the TV going at the same time and I was doing one of these things. And then I noticed later in the day I was twitching because of that. And I thought, well, maybe that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> maybe I should focus on one thing. In fact, there's a restaurant we go to that I'm going to bring up later on that has, what, 30, 50 screens in it at the same time? And every time I go there, I'm like doing one of these. Um, now that's number nine. Number eight unhealthy habit many Americans have is counting our, counting our daily steps as regular exercise. See, back in the day, we just called that walking. But today it's called fitness. And again, I don't judge, but we're counting our steps as regular exercise. Here's number seven. Using Instagram with built-in filters as our standard for what's pretty and beautiful. Right? That's probably a dangerous thing to do. Uh, to cover up our acne and our nose hair, you know. That's no wonder why people are depressed and anxious out there. We could, because you have to be flawless to be beautiful today. Right? So everyone looks like Barbie and Fabio. Everybody online. I don't know how they pull that off, but I'm going to say this today. There are far worse things out there than double chins, people, right? Everyone agree with me? Far worse things out there than a double chin. Embrace it. Here's a number, number six unhealthy habit Americans have is online shopping with credit cards. That's a dangerous combination right there, right? Some of us are talking to debt collectors more than we talk to our spouse because of that. That's an unhealthy habit. Number five unhealthy habit is binge-watching Netflix while we binge-eat snacks, while we binge-scroll through Facebook, while we binge-ignore our families at the same time. Probably not a good habit to keep, right? This is why nobody can sit through a 40-minute sermon anymore. Our attention spans are like 5-10 minutes at most. Here's number four in, uh, unhealthy habit Americans have is impatient and distracted driving. That's another bad combination out there, right? Um, driving today is kind of like real-life hunger games. See if you can survive out there. The other day, I was, I was slowing down because the car in front of me was turning, and the car behind me could have none of it. And he pulled right around me and got right in front of me as if to say, I cannot handle a fraction of a second delay. And so I came up with a saying, and maybe you guys can repeat this with me. Be okay with a slight delay. Can we all say that together on the road? Be okay with a slight delay. It's not going to kill you, but road rage might. So be okay with a slight delay. Here's number three unhealthy habit is putting all our information on the internet 
using the same three easy to figure out passwords for every account. Anyone do that? Same three passwords for everything that you can easily figure out as long as you know my birthday or my, my, my wife's birthday. I probably shouldn't have told you that. Oh, no. <laughs> Identity fraud is now the number one crime, which means there are nine Pastor Todd Walkers in Pakistan right now because uh, my, my identity has been stolen so many times. Hopefully not. Here's number two unhealthy habit is having everything delivered to us, meaning we have no reason to leave the house anymore because everything's coming to us, right? Now we refer to pajamas as business casual because we have nowhere to go. <laughs> Probably not a good habit to have. Here's number one unhealthy habit is using our cell phones in the bathroom. I am not going to poll the audience on that one, but I find it a little ironic that we have masks, check, Social distancing, check. Vaccines, double check. But we're all still walking around using toilet phones. Why hasn't anyone else figured that one out? Maybe not a good idea, right? Don't, don't share phones today. You don't know where that phone has been. Unhealthy <laughs> There's 10. Maybe you thought of a few more that you can share with me later. But to transition us to our servant today, we're going to come up with one more unhealthy habit. And that's not depending upon the word of God as our true sustenance. If you have your Bible, join me in Matthew chapter 4 as we talk about true sustenance. And listen to the word of God. In Matthew 4, this is the temptation of Jesus. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We're going to continue our series today called Lessons for Living. Pastor Mills started it last week with a lesson from um, the Gospel of Luke about Jesus appearing to two on the Emmaus Road and telling them how important that Jesus was for their lives. Today we're going to sort of continue that talk, this time from the Gospel of Matthew, because Matthew, I told you, has a parallel account that Luke does in Matthew chapter 4. And our passage today is actually one of the most familiar passages in all of the New Testament. And we're going to look at this very familiar account today because it's really got a powerful message behind it. The temptation of Jesus is a classic Bible story. And today we're going to learn some truth from that. I thought of this, perhaps one of the reasons why we like it so much, this passage today, is because we enjoy a good evenly matched battle, right? If you guys are sports fans at all, the NBA playoffs are going on right now and it's the second round, so these teams are pretty evenly matched. It's making for some compelling basketball to watch. My twins, my seven-year-old twins, are into something a little bit different today. I don't know where this started, but they're really into Godzilla. And they, this movie came out a little while ago God, called Godzilla vs. Kong, and it's like the biggest scary monster versus the other biggest scary monster, and my kids are just transfixed by this movie because we like a good epic match, Right? Strong versus strong. Maybe there's something even more intriguing about a true battle of wits. One smart, smart person versus another very smart person to see who's going to slip up first. I'm not a big fan of chess, but I can see the draw of watching two geniuses going at it together in a game of who's the smartest and who's the most clever person in the world. That's an interesting, intriguing matchup, is it not? Well, if you know anything about scripture and Christianity, we all know we have a very smart and very fierce enemy in the Christian life. His name is the devil or Satan. And this enemy is not to be messed with. 
many who underestimate him find themselves savagely beaten up, if not destroyed. He's too smart, he's too crafty, and he's too determined for any one of us to stand our ground against him without divine help. If you remember our lesson from Ephesians, where Paul says, take the whole armor of God, because you will not withstand this without the armor of God. And I hope by now we all know that the devil and his warfare are something to take very seriously. And he has one goal in mind, the devil, to get us to abandon our path of following the Lord so we will be condemned because he hates us. He can no longer hurt the Lord Jesus. He now puts all of his energies into hurting us. And he hates us, every one of us who follow Jesus. Sometimes I wonder how much the Apostle Paul must have frustrated the devil. Because Paul's discipline and determination to stand his ground and even advance the kingdom of God with help from the Almighty God. But if we were honest, even Satan is smarter than Paul was, right? Satan was stronger and a more skilled fighter than Paul was. Paul had to have divine help to defeat the devil. And it's likely that Paul, like many of us have thought or even said when being attacked by the devil, Satan, pick on somebody your own size. Did you ever wish your childhood bullies could run into your dad or your brother someday? Or maybe your future version of yourself and you could go back to your bullies and show them what was was coming to them? Well, in our text today, we all get to see the battle we have waited to see our entire lives. The strongest evil person versus the strongest good person. The devil himself, Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of darkness, versus the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the King of Kings. This is going to be an epic match today. The devil on this particular day in the wilderness was doing what I'm going to call big game hunting. Okay, He was hoping to walk away with a decapitated head of the Messiah to mount on his wall. This was a tall task to be sure, but you have to admit, this appears on the surface to be the fight of the century. Satan versus the Lord Jesus. But I hope we all know by now that even the Lord Jesus on earth is wiser and stronger than the devil, right? After all, the devil is a created being. He was a fallen angel. And the creator will always be more powerful than his creation. So we don't really have a fair fight here, do we? It's still tipped heavily in the Lord Jesus' favor because he's God. He's God, and the devil is not. Sure, at this moment, Jesus is not on his throne, But he's still the son of God, and he still has access to the power of the Almighty God at his disposal. But what's interesting, as soon as you get into this passage, you see almost immediately a very important detail that tips the scales quite significantly in the devil's favor. Let's look at it together. It says in verse 1 of Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is a long time to go without food. What's the longest you've ever gone without food? Think about it. A few days? I think I've gone six or seven days at the most. If you've gone a long time without eating, I wonder how did you feel at that moment? Were you hungry? I want you to try to picture Jesus Christ being without food for 40 days. That is almost six weeks of no food. What sort of weaknesses do you think that Jesus would be feeling at this moment? Some people I've learned, have heard, have actually hallucinated well before that because their mind does not have the proper sustenance to think properly. And after 40 days of no food, (laughs) wouldn't even gross things look appetizing? Bugs, insects, maybe even those foods that you hate. Wouldn't those start to look very appetizing after 40 days of no food? Wouldn't Brussels sprouts look like bacon? After 40 days of no food, that's a long, long time. And this is the exact moment that the devil decides to tempt Jesus. Do you see how opportunistic Satan is? And guess just what happens to be the devil's first temptation to Jesus after 40 days of no eating? Food. Food. He says, if you are the son of God, and I believe he's goading him, Because he knows he's the Son of God. That's the exact reason he's tempting him today, is because he knows he's the Son of God. But he's goading him. He's trying to get him to slip and fall and use something, you know, that he wouldn't have normally used just to show the devil who he is. That Jesus should use his divine power 
to make stones into bread to satisfy his immense hunger. Do you see how opportunistic the devil is? Do you see how undermining the devil is? And I want you to consider for a moment, don't slip your hand up, but those who are prone to anger, what sort of temptation and opportunity would the devil use against that kind of person? Wouldn't it be anger? Perhaps after a long and frustrating day, Satan might dangle in front of you the perfect opportunity to lay into the person who was the source of your frustration. And this happens all the time because the devil is opportunistic. What about those who are prone to lust? Do you think the devil is going to tempt them with gossip? Unlikely. He is going to most likely tempt them with lust. The devil might come after that person in a moment of weakness with the very sin that their flesh is drawn towards at the time they're most likely to give into it because he's opportunistic. The devil is no dummy, okay? He's fighting dirty here against the Lord Jesus, but he's also fighting very clever. He dangles in front of Jesus the thing that Jesus' flesh wants more than anything at that moment, which is instant edible sustenance. Perhaps Jesus could have been tempted with anger or lust on another day, but not today. The devil's basically saying that he's been, out, he's been without food for 40 days. Let's go attack his belly. Let's go get him right where he's weak. Now, there's many different directions to take a passage like this. My mind was going crazy trying to figure out what's the best way to go with this passage today. But I believe we need to stay in our lane today and speak about how the Lord resisted such temptations at a moment of great weakness and got a great victory over the devil. The three temptations of Jesus go this way. Okay, Number one is the devil's going to try to get him to use his power selfishly to satisfy his hunger. Get him to use his divine power selfishly for his belly to satisfy his hunger. Number two, he's going to try to get him to go outside of the will of God to prove his supremacy over the devil. Number three, he's going to try to trap Jesus with his desire for rightful ownership of what Satan stole from him, what currently belonged to the devil. And this gives us a good window into the strategy of the devil against Christians. I believe he watches film on us or maybe watches us directly to see our tendencies and our weaknesses play out. And then he waits for the ideal moment when we might just allow ourselves to sample the sin that we enjoy the most. But the Lord's first response to the devil here unlocks a secret for us for fighting against the devil. And this secret is the key to our spiritual success. The secret we want to explore today is a simple mindset about where our true sustenance comes from. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, and he's goading him, he knows he's the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. In my own words, the devil is saying to Jesus, obviously the Son of God has both the authority to do such a miracle as the rights and privileges of such a miracle. So why not make these stones into bread and satisfy your hunger at this moment? Give yourself some much-needed sustenance. And here we discover the devil's tactic. Logic teamed with desire. Human basic logic teamed with our desires. Jesus obviously had a desire to eat food after 40 days of no eating, right? Because the passage says... He was hungry, maybe even incredibly hungry, maybe even hangry. Anyone ever been there? And the devil makes it seem logical that making stones into bread would not only satisfy that need, but it would be the right thing to do based on pure logic of the mind. This might even be the right thing to do, the best thing to do, Jesus. Maybe you've read this passage before, and maybe you've heard it taught before, and maybe you know the answer to this question. But why is that wrong? Why is making stones into bread an actual temptation? Why is that wrong? I want you to assume that you don't know the answer to that question, even if you do. Because that does not seem wrong on the surface, does it? And that's the point. As far as temptations and sin goes, this one is tame, right? Anyone ever been tempted this way? Eating food? Consider, has the, devil, has the devil ever tempted you with eating? Such a scenario, the devil speaking to us. If you have authority over and access to your refrigerator, why not open it up and make a sandwich? After all, it is lunchtime. 
and we both know you'll like bologna. So go for it. And while you're at it, why not take some juice as well? Is that usually how your temptations go? That's not how mine go. This does not look like a temptation that I often am faced with. Usually mine are towards much more sinful things. But before we discover why this is a serious temptation for the Lord Jesus, let's work through the devil's logic together because he's using pretty good logic here. Okay, number one, eating is not only not wrong, it's good. And it was created by God to give us strength and to make us healthy. That's pure logic. Number two, the Lord Jesus needs food to survive because he's a human at this moment. And he needs food to continue to do the work of the Lord here upon the earth. It's another really good piece of logic. Here's another one. Nowhere in, is, in Scripture is it commanded to fast for a certain period of time. And Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. That is more than enough. More than enough fasting. How about this one? Making stones into bread doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody. In fact, strengthening Jesus with food would most likely help thousands of more people. Right? That's good logic. Here's another one, a very powerful, important one. God loves Jesus, and he wants Jesus to be happy and healthy. Do you notice the logic? That seems like airtight logic to me. Airtight. And I've noticed that's how the devil works with me sometimes, too. Airtight logic. Are those things true? Every one of them is true. Every single one of them is true. The problem is, it doesn't tell the whole story, does it? And that's how the devil works. He tells you the truth, but he leaves something very important out. Has the devil ever made it seem logical to sin in your life? Has he ever even used God's love against you in the midst of a temptation? God loves you, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Wouldn't he want you to have this? Based on the logical train we just worked through, maybe Jesus should make the stones into bread and satisfy his hunger. Maybe he should. And here, right here, we have a battle raging on between Jesus' fleshly desires teamed with the devil's airtight logic versus the word and the will of God. That's what's going on here today. And Satan, I believe he thought he's got Jesus right where he wants him. But instead of speculating on why making stones into bread was not the right thing for Jesus to do, because I have my own thoughts and theories on that, instead I want to, I want to look at Jesus' actual response to the devil and unpack that a little bit, because this is where we find the secret to fighting against the devil. Look at what Jesus says in response to the devil. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how he responds to the devil. Does he say that that is wrong to do? No, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is not really the profound rebuttal from Jesus we're looking for to understand why making stones into bread is evil. That doesn't really unlock the picture for why that is evil. But I believe this is the answer that we need to unlock the secret to fighting and defeating the devil and this is the truth we want to spend the rest of our time on today. What did Jesus mean by that statement? What did he mean? Man does not live by bread alone. Did he mean that bread alone is not enough to sustain us, that we need fruits and veggies and meat and a variety of other foods? Is that what Jesus meant? Is anyone a huge bread fan like I am? I love bread, and I like to eat as much bread as I can get my hands on. And people have actually said to me, you know, Todd, man does not live by bread alone. You need some bananas and broccoli. And I'm like, I just want bread for the rest of my life. I'm a huge bread fan. You are too, right, Bob? Let's just eat bread for the rest of our life. Nah, we'd probably be big boys if we did that. That's not a good idea. Is that what Jesus meant, that we need a variety of foods? The devil, I need more than just bread. Go get me some veggies and we'll talk. No, after some exploration, I believe the Lord is telling the devil and us where true sustenance comes from. You see, I think we have it backwards in our culture. Typically, what we do is we fill our bellies and our lives with food and pleasure. And then we try to cram the word of God into the nooks and crannies of our lives wherever we can fit it. And if it doesn't fit, then so be it. It must not be God's will for me to study the Bible or go to church today. 
because life is too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too stressed. So God's word does not make the cut in my life because my life is already too full. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But it's true, sadly. If God really wanted me to study the Bible and go to church, then he would make life easier or more fulfilled so that I would have the time and the opportunity to hear from God's word. Isn't that how we think sometimes, if we were honest? Life is too full for God's word to make it in? Talk about an unhealthy habit. But according to Jesus, we're learning that is a backwards line of thinking. That's backwards. Jesus did the very opposite of that. He depended upon the word of God, and he let food and pleasure take a back seat to obeying scripture. Listen to his phrasing again. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is telling us that bread or food is not true sustenance, but the word of God is. In a nutshell, the, Jesus is telling the devil it would be wrong to mess up that equation and to get it backwards. To depend upon food and to let the word of God have a backseat in his life would leave him malnourished. It would also leave us malnourished spiritually. And hopefully you guys know by now, spiritual life far surpasses physical life. Now both are, imp are important. Both physical fitness and spiritual fitness are important. But one life lasts for 70 to 80 years on average. Did you know that? And the other one lives on into eternity. Just based on pure math, which one is more important, physical or spiritual? In fact, Scripture says that everything we have in the physical realm is going to burn away one day. Everything in the physical realm will burn one day, but the spiritual, whatever is spiritual, will live on into eternity. I mean, pure math alone. One is far more important than the other. In fact, you and I can go days and maybe even weeks without food and common comforts, but we cannot, cannot and must not, go without the word of God for very long at all because we suffer greatly when we do. In fact, without the word of God, we starve spiritually, and now we're in danger of eternal death. As a question, where is God's word on your list of priorities? Is it down the list a few notches? Is it even in the mix at all? Is it number one, far and away? The way we know that this interpretation is the best one is because we need to notice the devil's pivot right after this. Because the devil maneuvers based on what he just heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's two more temptations coming. And I want you to notice the way that the devil pivots based on what he just heard from the Lord Jesus. Jesus just told the devil it's not food that he depends upon, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what do you think the best tactic is for the devil at this moment? Would it be to try the exact same temptation over again and hope that Jesus slips up and makes the stones into bread anyways? Probably not, right? That's unlikely. Let's now take a look at the devil's second attempt to get Jesus to sin. In verse 5, it says, The devil took him to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Did you notice the pivot? Did you notice the little phrase that he decided to bait his hook with? You went fishing yesterday, didn't you, Pastor Mel? And I noticed you had a nice, good-looking lure with a bunch of hooks on it. Do you notice the hook or the bait that the devil put on his hook there? For it is written. What did Jesus just tell the devil? He depends upon the word of God as his true sustenance. And now the devil decides to use scripture. Is that surprising to you? It shouldn't be. Because the devil is smart and crafty. He just heard from Jesus that he depends upon the word of God instead of physical sustenance. So the devil now has to try a brand new tactic to get Jesus to slip up. Physical temptations were not going to be enough to get Jesus to, to fall, even at his weakest moment. The devil has to play the same exact game that Jesus is playing. So perhaps, just perhaps, he could use the word of God to get Jesus to trip up. 
It's a bold strategy, but it's also quite ingenious. Jesus just told the devil that the word of God is his true sustenance, and he will listen to and obey the word of God at all costs. After 40 days of no food, he would still rather have scripture. Isn't that amazing? 40 days of no food, I'd still rather do the will of God. So now the devil has to change his strategy by teaming the glory of God with the word of God for an ultimate temptation sandwich to use against Jesus. Notice the new attack. I'm going to give you this in my own words. The devil speaking to Jesus. If you are the son of God, then what's better than to glorify yourself as God? Is there anything better than that? Using scripture, even the word of God supports the glory of the son of God. I mean, if scripture is your true sustenance, then take a look at what it says in Psalm 91. The angels will protect you from all danger. If that's true, and if you depend upon what it says in Scripture, why not show us your glory and let the angels do what they were created to do, to protect you at all costs. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and let's glorify yourself right here, right now. Wow. Now, if he didn't have Jesus right before this, he's got him now, right? He's got him now. The devil just went well beyond human logic and fleshly desires, and now he's using Scripture against Jesus to get him to do something outside of the will of God. Satan took Jesus' true sustenance, and he found a text that he could manipulate to use against Jesus. Has the devil ever done that to you? Manipulated Scripture against you? He found a text that said angels will protect Jesus at all costs. So now using scripture, the devil says to Jesus, why not throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and let everyone see something amazing? Because the angels will have to come and scoop you up before your foot strikes against a stone. Isn't therefore Psalm 91 say this is the will of the Lord? Because the angels will protect you no matter what. But is that what it says? Is that actually what Psalm 91 says? To understand the manipulation of this text, we have to go to Psalm 91 to see the manipulation of this text that the devil used because it's easy to miss unless you look carefully. Let's go now to actual Psalm 91 verses 11 to 12. I'm going to put it on the screen, but you can also go in your physical Bible and notice the phrasing. Verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That is the passage that the devil just quoted to Jesus. And isn't that exactly what it says, that the angels will protect Jesus no matter what happens? But if you look closely, you can notice Satan just happened to misquote Psalm 91 by leaving out one small but very crucial phrase. To guard you in all your ways. And I think this is very on purpose. Because I believe this verse is now, with that phrase included, speaking to the will of God. And now, on Wednesdays, we are studying how to study the Bible. Okay? This is very pertinent. We are studying how to study the Bible on Wednesdays. And if you haven't come, start coming this very week. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. And we're going to start to learn some of these manipulation tactics of the devil because he left out one very important phrase. That subtle but little important phrase right there speaks to doing the will of God versus just taking liberties with the angels and doing whatever you want to do. The logic kind of works like this, okay? This is the logic the devil would use towards all of us, okay? Listen, God loves you, right? God will protect you at all costs, right? Then why not show the world how much God loves you and how real he really is. Throw yourself in front of a car. And let's watch the power and the glory of God go to work. Because he loves you, right? He will protect you at all costs. It sounds logical. And it even sounds God glorifying on a level. Wow, wouldn't it be amazing if people saw God just swoop in with an angel and protect me at the last second? Plus, I have the support of scriptural truths that say such things. God will protect me. God loves me. God will go to absolute lengths and limits to keep me healthy. But is throwing ourselves in front of a speeding car the will of the Lord for our lives? You guys aren't dummies, okay? And the answer is quite honestly no. 
No, it is not the will of the Lord to start throwing myself off of cliffs and into front and in the front of excuse me, moving speeding cars. But how did Jesus see this? Because that's easy to miss. When I've read this passage before, I've missed that. And I just thought, well, you know, it must have meant something different. But I had to go back and look at what Psalm said, referring to this passage. But how did Jesus see this in a moment, in pure weakness? Well, if you remember, Jesus depended upon the word of God as his true sustenance. If Jesus depended upon the word of God, do you think he knew what Psalm 91, 11 to 12 said and what it meant? If he faithfully, regularly depended upon Scripture as his true sustenance, do you think he knew what this passage said and what it meant? Let me give you an illustration of this, okay? I want you to think about your favorite meal at your most frequented restaurant, whatever that is. Think of your favorite meal at your most frequented restaurant, the meal that you get the most. Do you think you'd be able to speak with some accuracy how that meal tasted? Do you think you'd be able to write an honest and true review of how, how that meal tasted so that others could read it and get an accurate picture of it? My uh, family will every now and then go to a restaurant called Tully's in Clark Summit. And uh, Tully's every now and then I will get a turkey burger. In fact, I always get a turkey burger, not even every now and then. And the reason I get a turkey burger is because I like the taste of it and it's a little healthier, okay? So I get this turkey burger quite regularly, and I don't like them better than cheeseburgers. I'm just making a healthy choice to get a turkey burger. But I've eaten it so often, I thought about what would it look like if I wrote a review for the Tully's turkey burger. And so I wrote up a little fake review. I didn't actually post this yet, but if you guys like it, I will. Uh, Tully's turkey burger is super yummy. Everything's super today. Uh, it can be a little too thin sometimes, but they usually cook it to perfection. Naturally, I wish it was a real cheeseburger, but somehow they managed to trick my taste buds, taste buds into thinking it's a real hamburger. I applaud Tully's for pulling a rabbit out of the hat. And for that I say, abracadabra. 4.5 stars. What's that? Post it? Today. Look for it, okay? <laughs> Verbatim. It's going to be right on there. So, thank you. So based on that, you could tell the turkey burger is pretty good, right? Feels like a real cheeseburger. It probably doesn't, but... I'm being facetious a little bit, but do you, do you notice that I'm able to write a really honest and accurate picture of the Tully's Turkey Burger because I eat it a lot. I get it a lot. And the question is this. Do you think the person who depends upon Scripture as their daily meat and drink can decipher what the Word of God says and what it means more than the casual reader of the Bible? That's honest, right? Jesus depended upon the word of God, for his health and for his strength. So he knew what Psalm 91 said. It was in his mind. It was in his heart. And he knew what it meant. It was his true sustenance. But what about us? Would the devil be successful in tripping us up using airtight logic and even portions of scripture taken out of context to get us to fall? Because he does it all the time. What is your level of dependency upon God's word? Notice the response back to Satan. Jesus said in verse 7, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus defended the attacks of the devil by quoting and wielding scripture the way it was intended to be used. And now if there's a score count, it's Jesus 2, Satan 0. Now we have one final attack from Satan, and we need to notice this one as well before we end today. Because the devil tries one more time. Three strikes, right? Either three strikes, you're out, or three times is the charm. Let's see what happens here. In verse 8 it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This temptation on the surface seems like a last-second desperation half-court toss in a basketball game, okay? It's probably not going to go in, but why not try it just in case it does? That's kind of what it looks like on the surface. But just perhaps this is a better temptation than it appears to be. Satan just told Jesus that he would yield everything that he currently had in his possession 
to Jesus. Because the scripture says that the devil is the ruler of this world. He is the ruler of this world, which means for a time, it belongs to him. We live in the kingdom's, excuse me, in the devil's kingdom right now. And he just told Jesus that he would give everything he had in his possession to Jesus now, today. Think about it. Jesus was going to have to eventually go to the cross to die for the sins of his people to regain them back from the devil. And Satan just told Jesus that he could regain all his people and avoid the entire process of going to the cross if he did one simple thing. Worship him. Now, fleshly desires didn't work against Jesus. Perverting the word of God certainly didn't work against Jesus. But what if the devil could strike right at the heart of the Lord Jesus? What if he could bait his hook with offering Jesus an opportunity to regain his people back without dying on the cross? Wouldn't that be ideal? Even God the Father didn't have a plan for this to get his people back without Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. But the devil had one. In Satan's offer, Jesus would get all his people back from the devil's grasp and not have to die for their sins if he would bow down and worship the devil. But as soon as he did that, it would be over and everything would be given over to Jesus. Right? It's kind of like the time I went to summer camp with my brother and I told him that he should touch the electrical fence. Um... And my logic to my brother kind of went like this. I said, yes, it'll hurt a little bit. But then you'll be the bravest person I know, Travis. And the most hairless. But you'll be the bravest person I know if you touch the electrical fence. And I actually got him to do it. But that's how, kind of how my logic went. Travis, if you touch it, yeah, it'll hurt for a little bit. But then you'll be the stud of all studs. You'll be the bravest person I know. And that's kind of the logic the devil is using here. Bow down and worship me. And then it's all yours. It's all yours. And this had to be appealing to Jesus in the flesh. He came to earth to release his people from the grasp of the devil, and Jesus did not look forward to dying on the cross. If we fast forward, we remember Jesus sweating drops of blood the night before the cross because he's so in anguish about what he's about to face. And here the devil is providing Jesus an opportunity to accomplish his plan without the shedding of blood for sins that he did not commit. This is why they're called temptations. Because they're tempting. This had to be appealing to Jesus in the flesh. Consider how tempting that sounds. To regain his people without dying on the cross. But again... Notice the Lord's response to Satan. He said, Be gone, Satan. Get out of my sight, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Obviously, we all know that bowing down and worshiping the devil would be pure evil and blatant sin against God. And Jesus is not confused whether that's wrong or not wrong to do. But I want you to notice his phrase. For it is written. That makes three times in a row that Jesus stated the same thing to combat the devil's temptations. It is written. We don't need to overthink this today, okay? The word of God is our true sustenance. If we depend upon physical nourishment instead of the word of God, we might be physically fit and healthy. We might feel great about ourselves in life. I mean, Jesus was 40 days without food. If you and I depend upon food and sleep and fitness, we will no doubt feel better than Jesus did in the wilderness. But regardless of our physical health, if we don't depend upon the word of God, we'll die forever. And our physical well-being on earth will not be enough to sustain us in the lake of fire, will it? If we do not depend upon the word of God, then we won't know it. Oh, we might be able to trick ourselves and others that we're spiritually fit because we know the basics of Christianity. But the honest truth is that the devil knows the word of God very well. And if you and I do not depend upon the words of God, then we will fall for every single one of his deceptions and his perversions of God's word. 
If we do not depend upon the word of God, it's only a matter of time before the combination of our fleshly desires teamed with Satan's airtight logic will cause us to chase what we want out of this life versus what God wills for us in this life. Many, many fall for this trap. And many more will. Will you? As a testament today, I will be honest, I have fallen for all of these traps in the past. I depended upon everything but Scripture, and I was spiritually malnourished. Therefore, I fell for almost every perversion of Scripture because I didn't know it. I didn't know what it said, and I didn't know what it meant. And my earthly desires teemed with the devil's airtight logic was enough for me to fall for my sin over and over and over. But Jesus depended upon the Word of God. He depended upon it as his true sustenance. And therefore, he did five really profound things. Number one, he resisted any other dependency. Now, nothing is wrong with eating food, okay? That's not the point of the lesson today. The point is he resisted any other dependency. He didn't need food like he needed God's word. He needed God's word more. And because of this, he was healthy. It's easy to look at this and go, well, Jesus is really weak and frail and malnourished. He wasn't. And that's the point. He was incredibly strong and equipped, not with food, but with the bread of life, with the word of God. He resisted any other dependency. Number two is he resisted human logic that didn't align with scripture. It might be logical, but that's not what God said. I hope you guys were able to see the difference in those two. It's logical, but it's not what God said. Number three is he noticed and resisted perversions of the word of God. He noticed them. He saw the traps. He was able to see the traps laid out for him because he knew the word of God. And therefore, he resisted falling for the trap of trying to accomplish God's will a different way than God told him to because he knew the traps. He saw the traps. He watched out for the traps, and he maneuvered around them. And so Jesus resisted sin, and he resisted the devil, and he even frustrated the devil into leaving him alone. The devil lost the battle, and he left. He left. Jesus beat the devil after being without food for 40 days. And now it comes to us. What is your dependency today? Notice I did not ask, do you have your devotions for 15 minutes every single day? That is not the question. Because even if you ate physically once every day, you would still be malnourished and easy to push down if you only ate once a day. The strongest people physically are the ones who dedicate themselves to eating right, to exercising, and to saying no to things that hurt their body. And the strongest people spiritually are the ones who dedicate themselves to eating from God's word, who exercise their faith against temptations, and who say no to things that hurt the soul. And Jesus was this person. He didn't rely upon his divine attributes. That's not what he did in this passage because it was important for him to model to us the plan for victory in the Christian life. He dedicated himself to the word of God. He didn't have angels come down and fight for him. He didn't have God come down and fight for him. He used the word of God to defeat the devil and he won three times in a row. And he's telling us you too will win this exact way if you depend upon scripture. Guys, the word of God is relevant. But much more than this, it is our true sustenance. It is our true sustenance. I have some probing questions for the modern day Christian today. Two questions for us today, okay? When will we finally learn that we need God's word the most? When will we learn that God's word is more important than food, than sleep, than fun, than time with friends, and even our physical health? When will we finally reverse our thinking? And number two, when will we finally learn that only God's word can keep us spiritually healthy and equipped to do what all God has called us to be? See, we need sustenance in this life, but we also need sustenance in the life to come. 
the much greater life, the much more lasting life. And that sustenance is only God's word. If we want to continue or begin depending upon the word of God today, here's our two applications before we close. If you want to start depending upon the word of God, number one, consume scripture. Maybe you guys have heard the phrase that's thrown around a lot today, media consumption. Anyone ever heard that phrase? Media consumption. We now have devices and phones and tablets that allow us to get a ton of media here at a fast, fast rate. And people call it media consumption. So I'm going to say scriptural consumption. Consume it as often as you can. And I mean that, as often as you can. Remember it. Meditate upon it. Talk about it. Obey it. Repeat. I taught this phrase to my children the other day when we were studying this very passage. I taught them one simple phrase. More Bible. And I had them shout it. More Bible. And all six of my children shouted at the top of their lungs. More Bible. Number two is commit yourself to the teaching of the Word of God at your church. Your pastors and your teachers were given for your benefit to know the Word of God so you don't have to be in the dark. Therefore, commit yourself to your church and place yourself under the teaching of God's ministers. If you do those two things, you will be strong, you will be formidable, you will defeat the, the attacks of the devil. And after all we've learned today, will you be like most people who seek to fit God's word into the nooks and crannies of their life, into the leftovers of their life, and who remain spiritually malnourished? Or will you model Christ's example and depend purely upon the word of God as your true sustenance? Because this must be done. It has to be done. If you want to win, if you want to defeat the devil, if you want to stand your ground and advance the kingdom of God, we have to depend upon Scripture. And Jesus left us this model, and he's basically telling us today, follow it to the T. Consume Scripture. Know Scripture. Depend upon Scripture. And you will be fit spiritually. Eat of it. Remember it. Meditate upon it. Obey it. And repeat. Can I ask you to repeat after me one more time? More Bible. More Bible. There we go. Thank you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I do thank you for this message today. I know there's a whole lot more that could be said about such a powerful text, but I thank you for the model of our Lord Jesus Christ because he loves us enough to show us the right way to go. He remained undefeated against the devil, not because he called on his angels or God himself to come fight his battles, but because he did it the way you can do it and we must do it by depending upon Scripture. I pray for every soul in this room. I don't know where they are in their walk with the Lord. I don't know where they are in their spiritual disciplines, but I pray that you'd reveal to us, if you haven't already, what every single one of us, including myself, needs to do. Depend wholly upon Scripture. To know it, to learn it, to remember it, to obey it, and to repeat. Thank you for the look at this today. I pray that you'd strengthen us as we leave to have more Bible in our life. We give you all credit and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.